My heart is full from that worship set. Uh, we have a holy God, amen? And I think we say holy, holy, holy because he's holy, holy, holy. And we could go on for all eternity saying that same word. And perhaps that will be part of it. So uh, it's great to gather under his name as his community. And uh, my name is Ted Swinburne. I get to speak every once in a while, and it's my privilege to be with you uh, this morning. We've been uh, in the book of Genesis. In the, it's called In the Beginning. That's the first words of Genesis, and J.J. named the series In the Beginning because it's important to know what happened in the beginning. In fact, uh, the study of Genesis is important for us to understand God more, and in fact, to understand ourselves more, and then understand more fully how God relates to us as his image bearers, humans' image. Isn't it amazing to think that you are an image bearer of God? I think you need to hear yourself say that. So why don't you say that about yourself? I'm an image bearer of God. Okay, go ahead. That's amazing. You are an image bearer of God. And in the book of Genesis, we learn about God's glory, his holiness, his uniqueness, how he loves us. We, we learn about his will and his ways. We learn about ourselves, our value. We get to learn about our role in creation, our relationship with God. We have to admit our sinful tendencies and the consequences of sin. But then we see God's redemptive love, his loving pursuit of us, but also his justice and patience and how he, he works those together perfectly. So we're in the story of Noah, uh, Genesis 6 through 9. Uh, we've been in it for, I think this is the fourth week. This, we've been looking at uh, the story of Noah and the flood. Uh, we began in focusing on Noah. We talked about Noah was an example of long obedience and how important it is to have a long obedience. In fact, Eugene Peterson, a, a statesman, he just went to be with the Lord a couple years ago, but he's one of my heroes of the faith. He, he talked about being a follower of God, being a follower of Jesus, being described as it being a long obedience in the same direction. I really like that, a long obedience in the same direction. Then J.J. talked about uh, what God saw, what God saw, God's perspective from the flood and what God did, the reason it happened. And then uh, you're able to celebrate baptism last week. I wasn't here, I was in Utah uh, visiting family and, uh, but I watched it, and my heart was full as three people made the declaration, they are Jesus, and then went under water. It's, it's just an amazing thing, and how God covers them as he covered Noah and his family in the ark. So this morning, we're going to talk about Genesis 9. If you have your Bible, you might want to start working your way there, Genesis 9. Uh, and we're going to talk about what God meant by looking at the rainbow, the covenant, uh, the meaning of the flood, and what the flood meant, and how God would relate to his creation 
after the flood is found in, in uh, Genesis 9, where God makes a covenant promise. And you'll see the word covenant as we read the scripture in a bit. A covenant promise with all of creation. And so it's important that we understand the meaning of biblical covenant. Now, don't let this scare you. We're going to watch a video, about a five-minute video of the Bible Project. Have you heard about the Bible Project? It's a great resource. Uh, it's free. It's online. And this is one of uh, their free online resources talking about biblical covenant. And so go ahead and play that video. You've probably heard of the idea of having a personal relationship with God, which could mean different things in the Bible, like having God as a friend, or your father, or maybe your teacher. But there's one particular way that the Bible talks about this relationship that you find all over. But strangely, we don't talk about it that much, and that's the idea of a partnership with God. A partnership like working alongside someone to accomplish a goal together. Right, and this is actually what you see at the beginning of the Bible. God creates this good world full of all of this potential. And then God appoints these unique creatures, humans, as his partners in bringing more and more goodness out of all that potential. But the humans don't want to partner with God. They rebel and try to create a world on their own terms. And so this broken partnership is the Bible's explanation for why we're stuck in a world of corruption and injustice and the tragedy of death. It's not like there's just one or two humans who have bailed on this relationship. In the story of the Bible, everyone has abandoned the partnership with God. So what God does is select a smaller group of people out of the many, and he makes a new partnership with them called a covenant. And in a covenant, God makes promises, and then in exchange asks his partner to fulfill certain commitments. And the purpose of all of this is to somehow use this covenant relationship to renew his partnership with everybody else. Now, there are actually four times in the Old Testament that we're told God initiates a covenant relationship with Noah, Abraham, the nation of Israel, and King David. And it's through these that God is forming a covenant family into which all people will eventually be invited. So let's see how these work. The first one is with Noah. So in this story, God has just brought the flood to cleanse the world of humanity's corruption. And Noah and his family are the only ones left. And so God makes a covenant with Noah saying, listen, I know that humans will continue to be evil, but despite that, I'm not going to destroy it like this again. Instead, the earth will be this reliable place for us to work together. Great. So what does Noah have to do? Nothing. And that's what's so interesting about this first covenant is that God is promising to be faithful, even though he knows humans won't be. The next time we see God make a covenant is with a man named Abraham. God chooses him, promises to bless him, give him a large family, lots of land where they can flourish. And in return, God asks Abraham to trust him and train up his family to do what is right and just. And the whole reason for this covenant is God says that somehow he's going to bring his blessing to all families of the world through this one family. So that's Abraham. The next time we see God make a covenant is when Abraham's family grows into the tribe of Israel. And this covenant is with the whole tribe. God asks them to obey a set of laws, which are these guidelines for living well as a community of God's partners. And if they do this, then God promises to bless them and that they will become a people who then represent him to the rest of humanity. That's the covenant with Israel. 
The last covenant is with King David. Yeah, the tribe of Israel has become this large nation ruled by David. And God asked David and his descendants to partner with him by leading Israel in obeying the laws and doing what is right and just. And God promises that one day, one of David's sons will come and extend God's kingdom of peace and blessing over all the nations. So those are the four covenants that God makes in order to restore his partnership with the whole world. But here's what happens. Israel breaks the covenant. They worship other gods, they allow horrible injustice, and so they lose their land and are forced off into exile. So it seems hopeless. But during this time, Israel's prophets talked about a day when God would restore these covenants in spite of Israel's failure, somehow. Yeah, they called it the new covenant. And this is actually what's so interesting about Jesus is that he's introduced into this story as the one who fulfills all of these covenant relationships. We're told that he's from the family of Abraham, and so he will bring the blessings of that family to the whole world. We're told that he's the faithful Israelite who is able to truly obey the law. And we're told that he's the king from the line of David. And so he goes about extending God's kingdom of justice and peace to all. And that's really remarkable for one guy. Yeah, and what it highlights is perhaps the most surprising claim of all made about this man, that Jesus is no mere human, but rather God become human. And God did this in order to be that faithful covenant partner that we are all made to be, but have failed to be. And so through Jesus, God has opened up a way for anyone to be in a renewed partnership with him. So Jesus calls people to follow him and become part of this new covenant family. And despite their failures, Jesus is committed to making them into partners who were becoming more and more faithful. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a fully renewed world, full of goodness and peace. And there's this renewed humanity there, partnering together with God to expand the goodness of his creation. And so the end of the Bible story is really a new beginning. Isn't that good? And that, my friends, is the gospel. That's the gospel. That's why I stand up here. That's why we come together. That's why we can mourn properly, and that's why we can praise properly. It's all about Jesus and what he's done and having a covenant relationship with God. So uh, it's good to see the bigger picture as we begin to look more closely into these stories. So I, I, I need to pause now and pray and ask God to help us do just that. Father, I thank you for uh, your story, the gospel. I thank you for your pursuit and, and for your love. And Jesus, I thank you for coming and making a way. And uh, Holy Spirit, I thank you for coming and being present with us and making it possible to live in this covenant with you. And we look forward to that day when all things become new. Until that day, we want to hear from you as we even uh, sing that song. And, and Holy Spirit, would you come and speak to the depths of who we are, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me read uh, Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 through 17. It'll be on the screen. You can read it in your Bibles. And I will be trying to see the back wall screen. So I'm dependent on that. There you go. <coughs> so here we go. Uh, Genesis 9. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful 
and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and the dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky on every creature that moves along the ground and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And uh, for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I'll demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being, too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. And as for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those who came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I will establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. And whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on earth. After Noah and his family exited the, uh, the ark, along with all the animals, God makes this covenant. He makes it with all of creation. It's a sign and reminder of this covenant is the rainbow. So this morning we're going to be thinking and pondering about the significance of this sign, the rainbow. Who here loves seeing a rainbow? I, I, I do. I think they're pretty awesome. In fact, I grew up in Utah, uh, central Utah, and one of the things I loved most about growing up there were the uh, afternoon thunderstorms. I just love them. You could wake up in the morning and it would be blue skies. And then you'd see a little cloud on the horizon, and within minutes, you'd be in the midst of a thunderstorm, you, uh, thunder and lightning, 
And just as fast as it started, it would end, and the sun would come out again, and you know what you'd often see is a beautiful, bright, amazing rainbow. In Genesis 9, we see that the rainbow is a sign of God's, that God is uh, fully informed, and he is fully in control. When we see a rainbow, it's an invitation then and now to stop and to remember God's covenant, his promise concerning his persevering love. It's it's a sign of the second chance for humanity that came out of the flood. It's God's promise that he never again would destroy the earth by a flood, even though God knew, knew, as we know, that humans, me being one, have continued in sin. Uh, Sin turning away from God's pursuing love. So the, the rainbow points us toward what has been done, judgment, the flood, and even the cross. It points us towards what is being done, God's persistent love continuing and his patience over us. And it's pointing towards what will be done when Jesus returns and makes all things right. So when you think about it, the rainbow is just not a sign for us, for all of creation, but it's also a sign for God. The rainbow is also a sign for God. Uh, Verses 14 and 15 uh, put it this way. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, God says, I will remember my covenant between me and every living thing. When life is challenging, we can sometimes uh, wonder where God might be. Uh, Have you ever wondered that when life is tough? Where's God in all this? Has he abandoned me? Has he given up on me? Does he know about me and the circumstances that I'm experiencing? And and then concerning the world, uh, have any of you thought, hey, it feels like the world's falling apart? It's going from bad to worst. And sometimes you wonder, God, do you know what's happening? Do you care? Is the world beyond hope? But the rainbow, the rainbow is a sign to us and a sign that God says, I will remember my covenant. It's a sign that God does know. God does care. He has not given up on me. He has not given up on you. He has not given up on his world. Amen? So the rainbow to me and in God's word is an important sign that God has given 
because his persistent love continues. Does anybody need a spiritual rainbow to me today? Let's, let's look at that picture of a rainbow once again. Uh, we were looking for a good picture of a rainbow this morning. I wanted it to be a full rainbow, a colorful rainbow, uh, and then uh, sparkles of God's creation around it, the rainbow. The, the c- c- colors of a rainbow, they cover a full spectrum. And, and they point to the full spectrum of God's love and God's involvement. So this morning, I'd just like us to ponder briefly four points, four truths that we can, can gather from a rainbow, the symbol of a rainbow. Uh, I was with my oldest son uh, in Utah, who was a pastor, uh, last week, and... Uh, what I'm sharing with you is some of that, what I got from him. It's, it's good to learn from your kids, isn't it? So, number one, the rainbow is a sign for all creation. The rainbow is a sign for all creation. Um, the video showed us the covenants of the Old Testament and uh, Abraham and the nation of Israel, Moses, and then David, their covenant was about a person, a family, a, a nation. Noah's covenant, the covenant of Noah, was a covenant for all creation, it said. Uh, and our relationship to all of creation. Let's look at that. In verse 9 and 10, it says this. I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you. The birds, the livestock, the wild animals, all those who came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. This was a unique covenant of God, just not with a people, but with all creation, Uh, all living creatures. Now, let's think about this a little bit. The sin of humankind, uh, the sin of the garden, did not just impact humans. It did impact creation. Uh, In the flood, not only humans died, but also all the creatures of the earth died except those who were put in the ark. Now, this is not because creation somehow sinned. It was because humans sinned. And in the flood, all creation was judged because of the sin of -of out-of-control humans who were impacted and believed the lie of Satan. And it says who... uh, were filled with evil all of the time. So God's justice came upon all his creation. The rainbow tells us that God's judgment in this fashion will not happen again. And that is a promise not only to humans, 
but it says to all of creation, all living creatures. So the question that then came to my mind is how and why are humans tied to creation uh, like this so that all were judged and all will experience a future liberation? And the New Testament helps us with this question. Uh, go to Romans chapter 8. And I have some verses uh, 19 through 22. Let me read those for us. For the creation waits an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So in Genesis 3, uh, that J.J. taught us through, we see sin entering into the picture. And when sin happened, uh, not only were Adam and Eve judged, but also all of creation was impacted. Because uh, no longer, uh, God told Adam, would everything work out really easy. Because along with plants were weeds. And... Uh, God created work, and it was good, but when sin came into the world, work became toil. And so uh, all of creation was impacted by this. So our sin impacted uh, nature. Humans and nature no longer were partners, and... Uh, Creation was no longer like it was when God first created. In fact, uh, when I was going to school, I know we have some college students here, so let's see if you... Uh, the second law of thermodynamics. Do you remember what that is? No. <laughs> the second law of thermodynamics is this. Uh, everything is going from order to disorder. That's the second law of thermodynamics. Everything in nature is going from order to disorder. And that, I don't think, was happening in the original creation. That happened because of sin and is happening because of sin. But you know what? One day, it's all going to reverse. As there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And the old order of things will pass away. And all things will become new. Amen? So uh, it talks about that in Revelation uh, 21 and 22. And I'd like to just read a few of those verses just to whet your appetite. Verses 1 through 4 of Revelation 21. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. 
And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he'll be their God. And he'll wipe away every tear from the eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. One day when Jesus returns, people will be made right. I'm right now because I've accepted Christ as my Savior. And in God's eyes, I'm right. But in my experience, I still have wrong. But one day, I'm going to be fully right. There'll be no sin, and there's going to be no tears, and there's no, going to be no crying, and, and the curse of sin will no longer be impacting me because it will be fully experientially taken care of through Jesus Christ. Redemption. But also, creation will be made right in the new heaven and the new earth. Another sign of the rainbow. When you see a rainbow, remember these things. The rainbow is a sign that points toward a future redemption and a future liberation. And we can't understand the significance of the flood without understanding the significance of the rainbow. So here's a second truth about a rainbow. The rainbow is a sign of God's mercy. It's a sign of God's mercy. So in uh, Genesis 9.13, the word rainbow uh, is translated in our English word rainbow. You know, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. If you look at that word rainbow there, uh, it really means a war bow, a war bow that has been set aside. So let's think about this a little bit. Uh, Anybody here shoot archery? Okay, just one. Uh, I should invite you up, Cody, and tell us all about it. But uh, unless it's a crossbow, the bow has an arch to it, right? And you pull back the string. And when you pull back the string, which way does the arrow fly? You're hoping it's flying that way, okay? It's it's flying in the direction of the bow. And this is an interesting word that was used in the Hebrew language here, the rainbow, a war bow set aside, because now the bow of a rainbow is like this, not like this, right? And so uh, the direction of the target is up, not down. Isn't that amazing? It's up, not down. So let's think about this. Jesus came to earth, and he died on the cross to take the punishment for my sin. And so ultimately, the arrows of judgment uh, for those who believe in Jesus Christ were pointed upward, not downward. And the rainbow is a sign of God's mercy. Uh, Let me read some verses that talk about that. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. 
You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for the righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more have we been reconciled Shall we be saved through his life? Not only in this so, but is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Jesus stepped in and he took the arrow of judgment that I deserved. And so the rainbow is a, a war bow that's been flipped upside down so his arch is now up and Jesus took the arrow of judgment for us it's mercy mercy means not getting what we deserve uh, I think we have a slide for that mercy means not getting what we deserve grace means getting what we do not deserve so mercy is not getting what we deserved. I, I deserved the, the arrow of judgment. Grace is getting what we do not deserve. And what I don't deserve is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so the rainbow is always also a sign of God's grace. That's the next point. The rainbow is a sign of God's grace in the midst of a storm. <laughs> Getting what we do not deserve. Now, here's a theological and a, actually a sociological truth. We find God's grace most visible in the time of storm. We find God's grace most visible in the time of storm just as the physical rainbow always accompanies storm. Let's think about this. During the storms of life, any of you experience storms of life? Every hand should shoot up. Yes, we do. Um, during the storms of life, we realize our need for God's grace. And if we stop and acknowledge this need, and if we lean into God and our dependence upon his love and, and presence, <laughs> praise God, we experience, a, I don't know what to call it, a, a spiritual rainbow of God's presence that makes all things different. Now, life may not get easier, but with God's presence, it changes everything. With God's presence, we realize the love of the Father. With God's presence, we, we experience the friendship of Jesus. 
And with God's presence, we experience the power of the Holy Spirit. And this makes all the difference. We experience rainbow in the midst of storm. So a rainbow, a rainbow is a sign of God's mercy and a sign of God's grace. Now, I told you I was back in Utah. I, I was there not only to visit my son and his family, and I have three grandkids back there. And by the way, I had a new grandbaby born on Thursday. Isn't that great? I'd show you a picture, uh, but I don't want to be that guy. So I was in Utah. Also in Utah, uh, my mother is still alive. She's 88. She's in a care home. She has dementia. And she is confined to a wheelchair. And so for every day I was there, for hours each day, I sat with her. And I saw my, saw my mom in a state that she wasn't in most of my life. And we cannot really have conversation like we used to have conversation because she forgets what I say to her like 15 seconds after I say it. So we had these conversations over and over. And uh, she's had a lot of loss because most of her family and friends have died. And I've had two of my siblings die. My brother just died this past year. And she forgets that happened. And for uh, six days, throughout the day, I'd have to tell her that her sister died or her, my brother, her son, died. It was hard. And then there's pictures on the wall of all those people that have been lost. And I, so I sit there hours a day having these conversations and looking at those pictures. And I was overwhelmed. Uh, I needed a spiritual rainbow. And do you know where I found it? I found it in God's mercy and grace. And I found it with my mom because I'd talk to her about it and we'd pray and, and we'd give things to Jesus. She's a very committed Christian. And, and uh, so throughout the day, we would pray and we'd commit these things to Jesus, which were very hard. But then I felt like my tank was just low. And so then I'd call Carolyn and say, hey, uh, I just need to tell you how I'm feeling. And uh, being the wonderful person she is, she said the right words. And sometimes she said no words when no words were needed. But I did meet God along the way in this too. Because, you know, rainbows show up after a storm. And I need to tell you that God shows up in the midst of the storm. In fact, sometimes that's where we find his grace most deeply. One more uh, I have for us. The rainbow is a sign of God's radiant beauty. The rainbow is a sign of God's radiant beauty. Now let me put that picture of rainbow up again. Let's just sit with that beauty when you see a rainbow stop and admire its beauty and as you're doing that stop and admire 
God's beauty, his power, and his love, and his mercy, and his grace, and his presence. You know, the, the writers of, a, of the Bible had a, a, a tough challenge because, uh, especially in the prophetic, they were trying to put in human words what could not be put in human words uh, to the depth of the reality that it is. Uh, they, they put in human words, try to put in human words the unseen, which was very challenging, especially when it came to describing God and describing his imminence. So they tried through the instruction of the Holy Spirit. And you know what they came up with in a couple places where words did not really, weren't, good or weren't to what needed to be said they used an image and you know the image they used the rainbow let me read a couple of these first of all from Ezekiel chapter 1 verses 25 through 28 and uh, this is a description of God and if we get those uh, verses up on the screen Ezekiel 1 25 through 28 it says, then there came a voice uh, from above the vault over their heads as they stood with lowered wings. And this is a vision that Ezekiel was seeing, God gave him. Um, above the vault over their heads was what looked like a throne. Um, and high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. Next, next verse, please. And I saw from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire. He's trying to describe God's glory. And, on, and from there down, he looked like fire. And brilliant light surrounded him. And the next verse like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell face down, and I heard the voice speaking. The rainbow was used to begin to describe the brilliance of the glory of God. And also in Revelation chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. It's a description of the throne room of God's presence. And it says this. At once I was in the spirit, John writes, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald and circled the throne. The rainbow is a sign for all of creation, a sign of God's mercy, a sign of God's grace in the midst of storms, and a sign of God's radiant beauty. 
the story of Noah is not complete without the significance of a rainbow. And God has given us other symbols too. And one symbol we're going to have and participate in this morning is communion. And we have a slide for that. Uh, communion is a symbol that we get to participate in of God's redemptive mercy and grace made possible because Jesus came from heaven to earth and took upon himself a body which was broken as represented in uh, the cracker that you'll get in a moment. And then he died for our sins as is represented in the cup in the, in the juice you'll also get. So, um, worship team, come on up. If those who are going to serve communion would go ahead and, and get ready to do that. And as we sing and as the elements are passed, go ahead and take one and hold it and we'll be partaking, partaking together. But as we're doing this, I want you to think about the holiness of God. God's mercy, God's grace, and God's beauty.